0: Baptist Church. Once I was very sad and just felt lonely. I was willing to find someone to help me. Then Jesus found me and he showed the right path to him. Today I follow and believe in him always. My name is Christopher Gorkos and I am new. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, The queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone? And... When will you return?" So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let to Asa, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I should occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. The The word of the Lord. Lord. Well done, thank you, and Jennifer, thanks for directing that. So last week we we started this series called Extraordinary, and we um, we established three things. The first thing we established is that no one really wants to be ordinary. That nobody wants just an average, ho-hum existence of a life. Every one of us wants, wants more than ordinary. We want to be extraordinary. There's something in our soul that wants more than average. So we established that. The second thing we established is not coincidentally, God has designed us to want that. See, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in the Bible or not, the, the reality is we all have this thing in us that wants to be extraordinary. And the Bible teaches that God has designed us to be extraordinary. He has designed us to, to rule and subdue and, and, and to fill. He's designed us to do these, these good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. He's designed us to step into this abundant extraordinary life that jesus came to give us so the fact that we desire it is right in line with how god has wired us so we we established those two things the third thing that we established was that even though we desire to be extraordinary and even though that god has wired us to be extraordinary the majority of us see ourselves as very ordinary the majority of us settle for ordinary. So why is that? If we have this desire and if God has placed this in us and and given us this ability to, to do that, why is it that we live just these ordinary lives? What we're trying to uncover as we go through this study is that there are some... There are some things that we can do that can move us from being just ordinary people to extraordinary people. From just accomplishing the ordinary to accomplishing the extraordinary. And that's really kind of the, the message of the book of Nehemiah. Because we see in Nehemiah this man who was just an ordinary guy who, who became extraordinary and he did extraordinary things and he moved other people to do extraordinary things. So last week, we saw that, um, that the first thing that needs to happen in you, if you're going to be extraordinary, is that you have to have a passion for something. There has to be a passion in you. Last week, we talked about the fact that, that your heart needs to break for the things that break the heart of God. Remember that? And that when when God breaks your heart over something that breaks his heart, that moves you. Nehemiah was living in a very difficult time. The the people of, of Israel were in exile. The walls of the city, the, the thing that should be the symbol of God's might and glory, those walls were broken down. And Nehemiah gets this message and and he just he says, I can't. I can't be happy with that happening. I can't be happy living in the splendor of the king's palace, making my six figures, if you will, while this is happening to the city of God and the people of God and the reputation of God. I have to do something about it. And then you'll remember that at the end of chapter 1, he prays that God would grant him favor in the eyes of the king. Basically, he's saying, God, I'm available. God, I'm... I'm willing to act. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. God, I'm all in, but I also know that I'm not going to be able to accomplish this on my own. You're going to have to do it through me. And so he goes to the king, and and as the, our youth just read for us, he goes to the king and makes some pretty outrageous requests. Leave of absence, uh, letters of endorsement, uh, timber to rebuild the gates of the, this you know, city that had been an enemy of, of Persia. And the king grants all the requests. Not only that, but he gave Nehemiah a military escort. As Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Nehemiah's heart was fully committed to God and so God came alongside of him and strengthened him and friends he will do the same thing for us. He will come alongside of us and as Paul told the Ephesians he is able and ready and wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine if we are fully committed to him. So last week we saw that an extraordinary person is someone who has soft heart and callous knees soft heart in that your heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God and and callous knees, meaning that it drives you to your knees in prayer. But here's the thing. It can't stop there. Not only do we have to have a soft heart and, and be inclined to prayer, but we have to be a person of action, which is what Nehemiah does. You see, extraordinary people don't lean on a shovel and pray for a ditch. you got to think about that one for a minute. You don't lean on a shovel and pray for a ditch. You do something. But is that how we operate? I think often we treat God as Jehovah Genie. You know, we we take our Bible. You know, we rub the Bible and then and and say a few words and then sit back and see what God's going to do. But friends, God doesn't operate that way. Never has. God wants to do amazing things in us and through us. But we have a part to play. Matthew Henry, who was who wrote a. a A classic commentary on the Bible said that, (coughs) he said, good theology does not slacken us, but it straightens us. Meaning, when you have good theology around the, the infinitude of what God can accomplish, that doesn't make you lazy. Good theology makes you diligent. Good theology makes you recognize that because God can do all things, I'm gonna step out in faith and trust that He will do all things. The question is, is that what we do? Do we sit back and pray that God will act and then just kind of watch? Or are we diligent? The book of Proverbs has a lot to say on the subject of, of planning and diligence. Proverbs 1423 says all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. What's the point? Don't just talk about it. Do something. Don't just talk about it. Do something. Proverbs 24 to 27 says, Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Meaning, you don't just jump in you got to assess what's going on. you got to make your plans. And then you act. You have some forethought on this. You, you think about this. And I love 13, Proverbs 13, 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Which simply means that there are a lot of people who prefer that things are different, but they're not willing to do the work to make them different. It's the diligent person. It's the diligent who plan their action and then act upon it and see it through. And it's that person that's ultimately satisfied. You see, it's one thing to want things to be different. And it's another thing to actually take the steps that can bring about change. Um, If we learn anything from Nehemiah, it is that in order to see change take place, in order to move from ordinary to extraordinary, you start with passion and prayer, but then you have to sit down and you got to put a pencil to it. You have to ask, what, what's, what it's, is it going to take? Time, resources, commitment, and then you take action. You see, you put passion with purpose. If you want to get a promotion at work, what do you do? You guys must not have been promoted recently. What do you do? You, you find out what your boss wants you to be doing, and then you figure out how to do that thing better than he or she has ever seen it done. That's what you do, right? I don't know. I haven't been promoted, so... Um, that principle that's true in your professional life is also true in other areas of your life. You want an extraordinary marriage? It's going to take some work. You can't just expect to go from ordinary to extraordinary. You want more than just the average run-of-the-mill, oh, this is okay kind of marriage. If you want an extraordinary marriage, what do you need to do? You've got to make sure your wife is happy. You got to make sure that you understand what your spouse needs. You need to know where your spouse itches so you can scratch that itch and you do whatever it takes to minister to the needs of your spouse. You assess, you figure it out, you talk it through, and then you act on it. There are a lot of couples in our church I know of right now who (coughs) who want their marriages to be better who want to go from ordinary average ho hum run of the mill relationship to an extraordinary marriage and some of them are doing something about it some of them are are having those conversations that need to be had they're they're sitting down they're talking about okay this is where we're at this is not okay, I want it to be better, and so what does it need to be better? And they're talking it through, and they're trying to figure it out, and then they're doing something about it. But there are others who say they want to have an extraordinary marriage, but they're they're just hoping that it happens. Friends, it ain't going to happen without you taking some steps to make it happen. The same principle is true in every area of our life. Um, if we wanna see things change from ordinary to extraordinary, we have to, we have to put some work in. We have to take the steps. We have to be willing to make a change. The same thing's true in our spiritual lives. You wanna grow in your relationship with God? Um, And your knowledge of Him and your effectiveness for Him. That's a great passion to have. Lord, grow me. Right? But all too often it stops right there. All too often we say, Lord, grow me. I just so want to be more like You and, and have Your love flowing through me. And Lord, so would You bring this change in me while I'm watching the NBA playoffs. <laughs> it's not going to happen. If you want to grow spiritually, you've got to have a plan. Some of you come to me and say, Keith, I don't know Romans from Reader's Digest. What do I, how, what do I need to do? Well, it would help to start by reading Romans, right? I mean, what's your plan? You need you need a plan that I am going to get in a small group where I am going to learn some stuff. and And we got all kinds of uh, small groups around here where you can jump in, you can start learning the scriptures with other people, and you can learn how to, to how to um, serve and love and community. and That's a great thing. Uh, you need to read authors other than Nicholas Sparks. And David Baldacci, you know, you need to you need to read some guys like Keller and and Stanley and Ortberg and Tozer. And, you know, you you need to think about. So what am I filling my mind with? You need to serve. You need to find a place where you can give your life away, whether it's in this church or outside of this church. Those are the things that you need to do if you want to grow spiritually. But a lot of us just sit back and, Lord, please grow me. And he says, okay, but you got a part to play. Friends, God is committed to your growth. He's committed to bringing to completion the work he began in you. Philippians 1.6. God is committed to, to... taking you from ordinary to extraordinary. But Philippians 2 says that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. See, there's a partnership. God says, I'm all in, how about you? But too often we just sit back and say, God, you do it. If you're going to grow, if you're going to move from ordinary to extraordinary, you have to have a plan and you need to work the plan. You're not going to have an you're not going to have the extraordinary marriage you want. you're not going to have the extraordinary relationships you want. You're not going to have the extraordinary job you want. You're not going to have the extraordinary experience with God that you want simply by wishing that you could. If you don't want to stay ordinary, which last week at the end of the service, I said, if if you want to be extraordinary, stand up. And almost everybody in the room stood up. So if you want to be extraordinary, if you want to, and you said you did, then you need to do something about it. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Yes, we need passion. Yes, we need to pray. But we can't stop there. We need to act if we truly want to be extraordinary. So all of that is just intro to my sermon. So we're going to be here till about three. You just um, So turn to Nehemiah chapter two.. <clears throat> so Nehemiah has prayed. He spent four months praying, by the way. The, the difference between Kislev and Nisan is four months. And Nisan's not a car, it's a month. Um, and so he spends four months praying, and then he goes to the king. And he makes these requests of the king, he's got a plan, the king grants his requests. And after the plans are made and Nehemiah begins to act on them by going to the king, what happens? Verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Skip down to verse 19. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Make a note. If you step up To do something extraordinary, you will face opposition. Count on it. If you step out in faith to do something extraordinary, especially for the glory of God, especially for the cause of Christ, if you step out in faith to make a difference, you will be opposed. You can count on it. And we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but suffice it to say for now that there will be opposition. Uh, when Israel left Egypt, they were excited about the promised land, and in you know two months, month and a half later, they're on the the cusp of entering into Canaan, and the spies go in, and the spies come out, and they say those Canaanites are some big dudes. Rough translation. Uh, and what does that do? It puts fear in the hearts of the people and the people bail. They say, well, let's run away. And friends, some, that's what opposition does to us a lot of the time. It causes us to want to bail. But extraordinary people don't bail in the face of opposition. They move toward it. And we're going to see what that looks like in a couple of weeks. Verse 11. Notice what Nehemiah does. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. After staying there three days, don't miss this. Nehemiah doesn't ride into Jerusalem, declare himself as governor, throw a pep rally to get people fired up about rebuilding the wall. The first thing that Nehemiah does when he gets there is he takes three days to replenish. You see, it's 800 miles from Susa to Jerusalem, and FYI, he didn't have JetBlue. Okay, this is eight. This is an arduous 800 mile journey, and he's got a he's got a caravan or a convoy or whatever they called it. Uh, with camels carrying timbers for the, for the gates and, and an army escort and all this stuff. They're not moving that fast. Best case scenario, they make the trip in, eight, in 10 days. Probably took them more than two weeks. And so this is a long journey. He's exhausted. And so the first thing that Nehemiah does... Is he says, "I need to, I need to refill. I need to replenish." We've all got a. Um, I'm going to try to draw something here. We've all got this energy tank. Okay, that's a tank, by the way. Looks kind of like a whale. Um, anyway. Um, so we've got all got this energy tank and it's you know got different levels of filling but what we need to understand is our energy tank has holes in it and it leaks and so as we expend energy time whatever our our vitality goes down our energy goes down. How many of you operate really good on an empty tank? Right? Never. You you you're not patient. You know, you're you're yelling at the kids, you're barking at the dog, you're you're um, you know, short with coworkers and your spouse. When you're when you're running on low to empty. You don't make good decisions and you drag people down, right? When do you make the best decisions? When, you're, when your tank's full. When do you inspire other people? When your tank's full. When, when do you get the most stuff done and the best stuff done? When your tank's full. So, what you gotta do is you gotta make sure that you got enough coming in to replenish so that it replaces what's going out. That's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah doesn't roll into town and say, okay, let's get going. He's just had this brutal trip. He knows he has an extraordinary task ahead of him, so the first thing he does is he takes three days off. What does he do for those three days? I don't know. All I know is he didn't work. All I know is, is he did something to refill, replenish his tank. And friends, we got to do the same thing. If we're going to be extraordinary, we can't can't operate down here. We have to operate up here. And we got to do what we need to do to fill our tanks. Okay, I got two questions. First question, how full is your tank right now? turn to the person next to you and tell the person next to you how full your tank is right now. Okay, the fact that you're still talking about how full your tank is tells me one or two things. One, it's either so full, you got so much energy that you just want to keep talking about it, or you, it's so low, you're just kind of depressed and you can't... You, no. Um, okay, so second question. Whose job is it to keep your tank full? Yeah, it's your job. Nobody else can fill your tank for you. It's your job. I don't know what Nehemiah did to fill his tank, but I know what I need to fill mine. See, I have to have a Sabbath every week. I have to have 24 hours where I totally unplug. Where I don't look at email, I don't return phone calls unless it's my wife. Um, I go for a long run, I listen to music, I read stuff I haven't had opportunity to, I watch golf, you know. That, that fills me up. I have to have a Sabbath every week or that or, or starts running out more than it's coming in. You need to know what fills you up and it's your responsibility to do those things so that you can have the capacity, not capacity, but the, the um, resource within you to move from ordinary to extraordinary. So he replenishes, he gets his tank full, and then he takes some guys with him to survey the situation. It says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. See what Nehemiah does after he spends a little time refilling his tank, he says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to assess the situation. In other words, he embraces reality. Extraordinary people do not have this pie in the sky, um, everything's hunky-dory, rose-colored glasses perspective on their situation. Extraordinary people embrace what's real. They assess the reality of the situation and then they determine what needs to be done. If you're in a less than satisfying marriage and you want it to be extraordinary, you cannot bury your head in the sand and hope that it gets better because it won't. You have to to embrace the reality. This is what's true. What's true is not good. Therefore, these are the things that must be done for it to be better. That's what an extraordinary person does. They embrace reality. Um, If you're in a less than satisfying job work situation, You embrace reality. You say, here's here's what's true. Here's the part that I'm playing. Here's the part that I can do something about. And you do something. Ordinary people who are satisfied with ordinary lives and ordinary jobs and ordinary everything just dull themselves to reality. Extraordinary people embrace it. And they recognize it, and then they do something about it. Um, We want to be an extraordinary church. And so right now, what we're doing as a staff, what we've been doing over the last number of months, is embracing the reality of where we are. Here are the things that are broken. Here are the things that need to be fixed. Here are the changes that need to be made. We're trying to identify what wins in every area of the ministry look like because because we see that what's happening isn't the best that it could be. Why is it this morning that two weeks after this place was full twice, why is it this morning that... We're not full again. Why is it that we could have the kind of Easter services that we had? Where 37 people were baptized and and at least 7 people came to faith. and, And it was amazing what God did. And yet, here we are. And we're half full. Why is that? Are we satisfied with ordinary? Or do we want to be extraordinary? The elders have been talking with ministry leaders, all of our deacons, and over the last couple of months, three months, trying to establish what, what wins in each area of ministry would look like because we don't want to be ordinary. We don't want these seats to stay vacant. Friends, people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear what it means to go from ordinary to extraordinary. And so how do we get them in the doors? Are you satisfied with this? We shouldn't be. What Nehemiah found was not good. At one point the rubble was so bad he couldn't even get his horse through. But he did not let he did not let that, um, the difficulty of the task daunt him in moving forward. I've got to be honest with you. Most of the time I lie to you, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are days when I think, am I really supposed to be here? There are days when it gets really tough. And I don't feel qualified to handle what's coming. There are days when I don't want to handle what's coming. I have written uh, a letter of resignation. It sits in my desk just waiting to be signed (laughs) and dated. I wrote it a long time ago, but I've never taken it out of my desk. But the point is, there are times when you just kind of feel daunted and, and things aren't happening the way you think they should be happening. Early in my ministry here, it was about 20 years ago, I was, um, I was preaching on Easter Sunday morning, okay? Place is full. I'm doing the Easter message and the, I'm at the apex of the sermon. Where I'm telling about Jesus' passion and what he did on the cross so that we could have life eternal. And a homeless guy that we had been trying to minister to walked in the doors, walked right down here. Meredith was there, walked right down, stood right there, turned around, and began to yell at our congregation. I mean, yell. And he yelled, Keith Boyd is a heretic. Keith Boyd is an adulterer, and the fires of hell are going to come down on this place. I'm serious. So I'm going through my ser- my my um, seminary notes. <laughs> sermon, sermon, apex of sermon, Easter sermon, homeless man. Okay, here it is. Have that course in seminary. So, what do you do? You embrace reality, you don't let the task daunt you. And so, we had some really strong men, elders, who stood up and gently but firmly escorted him from the church. And then we paused, and as a congregation, we prayed for him. And prayed that the Spirit of God would overwhelm him. And then when we said, Amen, I said, Okay, now where was I? And we picked up where we were. Now, that's kind of a strange, funny, weird example. But the point is that sometimes things happen that you're not anticipating, and stuff happens that you didn't sign up for. Nobody taught me how to do this. Nobody trained me. Nobody told me. So what do you do? You embrace reality. You say, this is what's true. This is what I know to be true. And I'm not going to let the difficulty of the task daunt me. I'm going to move forward into it friends whenever i get whenever i i get to that place where i'm feeling like i can't handle this or i'm feeling like i don't want to handle this or i'm feeling like pulling that letter out of my desk i just do a quick inventory are we preaching the truth yes are people coming to faith yes Are people growing in their faith? Yes. Are we actively seeking the will of God for this church? Yes. Okay. I'm good. I can keep on that. I can keep doing that. Here's the last thing I want us to see this morning. Verse 17. Then I said to them, meaning the people of Jerusalem, after, after he'd taken a survey, after he'd embraced reality, he, he pulled the people together. He says, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. Friends, extraordinary people are people with vision who cast vision. Um, And essentially what vision is, is is getting people um, fired out, fired up, about moving from here to there. That's all it is. It's getting people to recognize that we can go from or- ordinary to extraordinary. But what you have to do before you can really get people to buy in the, to the bliss and the excitement and the, and the greatness of there, you have to paint a picture of why it's not okay to stay here. You have to help them to understand that here is not Okay. Friends, it's not okay that we've got a hundred plus empty seats this morning. Why isn't that okay? Because people need to know Jesus. People need to know the the extraordinary life that God has wired them for and and, and created them to be. It's not okay that the walls are in rubble and that the the City and the people and the reputation of God are in disgrace. That's not okay. We can leave it that way and then we could just be ordinary, or we can go there and be extraordinary. And we can rebuild the walls and we can restore the glory that was once here by putting the gates in place and rebuilding the walls and, and, and God's glory can shine here again. See, that's what Nehemiah did for the, for the people. He had the vision. He cast the vision. But he had, them, he had to have them see that here is not an okay place to stay. And we got to go there. And he motivates them in verse 18 by saying, here's what I did. Here's what the king said, and you know what? God is in this because God granted favor, and God is is doing something. Friends, if if you need motivation for the fact that God is in this, just go back two weeks, and there were 37 baptisms. God is in this. God is in this. God's hand is on this. And all we have to do is remember that God's faithfulness in the past, will be fa- He will be faithful in the future. Amen. And what the, how they responded, verse 18, they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I love that. Nehemiah cast vision and they said, Yeah, we don't want to stay here. We want to go there. We want to go there. And so they jumped in. Extraordinary people have great passion, but they couple that passion with purpose. Have you thought about where you want to be in your career? Most of us have. Kind of have a plan, kind of have a a path for that. But have you thought about where you want to be in your relationships? Have you planned that? Have you thought about what you want your marriage to look like? Do you have a plan for that, that you're willing to act on? Have you thought about how you want your family to be, your kids? Do you have a plan for that, that you're willing to act on? Have you thought about where you want to be spiritually? Do you have a plan for that? Are you acting on it? Have you thought about what God might be calling you to do, to, be, to stand in the gap and to be a part of something that's bigger than you, that maybe he wants to do here, or maybe he wants to do somewhere else, but he wants you to be a part of it? Have you thought about it? What part you're going to play in it? What are your plans? And do your plans include God and His glory? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you called us. You, you wired us. You created us to be extraordinary people, to do extraordinary things, to accomplish extraordinary things, to enable others to accomplish extraordinary things. And I am so grateful, Lord, that, that a week ago, almost everybody in this room stood up and said, I want to be extraordinary Lord, it is my prayer that we will not lean on our shovels now and pray for a ditch. But that we will roll up our sleeves and get in there and do the work that it takes to rebuild those walls and restore your glory. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be thoughtful And determine that we will embrace the reality of our situations. And then determine how we can move into that reality and make it better. Lord, we pray this for your name's sake. Amen.